I really enjoyed how you kind of connect everything from like you have the the honesty on the business side, but then it, it really connects inwardly to your own perspective, your own pers- personal life. And I, I, totally. I really uh, respect that because uh, I mean, it, it's also kind of interesting and I'm recording anyway. So <laughs> uh, yeah. it, it's always kind of interesting to, to note that there's, there's always the, the people who like don't follow their own advice. <laughs> uh, totally. And so like, I, I, I'm probably, guilty of that as well of like, I, I can give great advice and then I'll turn inwards at my own life and be like, Oh yeah, I should probably do that too. And then I'll just kind of keep going about my life, not following my own advice. So, I mean, it's, it's really nice to hear that you, you really encompass that throughout and that's, yeah. Well, I mean, if it makes you feel any better, you let's unpack that a moment. Um, sure. Because first of all, I'm not a huge advice giver. Um, (laughs) I don't like the words you should. I think that's a dishonest phrase because we Mm. don't know what that other person should do. We don't know what they're dealing with fully. We don't know how they're feeling fully. We don't know what the context is fully. We only know what they've given us, which is usually only the tip of the iceberg. So you'll rarely, if ever, hear me say you should. Typically I'll say, I heard you say this and that makes me wonder all these things or I heard you say that and that makes me curious about or I heard you say that and that reminds me of a time I had a similar problem and this is what it was and this is what happened and I'm all about the experience share, you know? Um, But there's something very interesting I think folks can learn about self-honesty because you bring up a very interesting point about it's easy to give advice to others, tough to give advice to yourself, okay? Yeah. Now, I think on the surface, most folks look at that and say, oh, well, I'm a shitty person because I can I clearly see the problems in this person's life. I should do those things and then I don't do them. Sure. And my reaction to that is, well, your actions are actually telling you something very honest about who you really are and what you really believe and what you really want to do. Um, and as an example, you know, you look at me and social media. Uh, you know, I got all the way to 30 as a really terrible millennial, I had no social media whatsoever. I hate social media. I think it's the <laughs> stupidest thing ever because it's like, I don't get it. I'm like, I want to go read a book or like, I don't want everyone to look at the salmon I cooked for dinner. Like who gives a <laughs> shit? Um, I just don't care. You know, meanwhile, I have, you know, peers now who like put up cat memes for the last five years and now they've got one and a half million followers. And it's like, mm-hmm. like what the fuck? Um, but it's not me. I'm too, you know, I'm too much of an elitist, like intellectual for it. It's, that's just who I am. Mm-hmm. Right now, when I figured out I wanted to write a book uh, after my 30th birthday, I recognized that I really probably needed to get my social media in gear. Right, so I did. I opened my profiles and I'd post occasionally in that. Um, now, if somebody came and, and asked me, like, "Hey, you know, what are the big components of, of writing a book?" I would have said, "Well, you need social media." Um, you know, it's the first thing my agent said, first thing my publisher said. Like, social media sells books. It's your reach. It's your audience. Uh, easy to sell a book. Now. Although I knew that, what do you think I did or didn't do? <laughs> Social media. Yeah. I mean, and I have a little bit. And listen, over the next month, you're going to see me do a lot of stuff, particularly on Instagram. You know, I eventually now have hired someone to help me and they've been working with me since April. Um, and we're building audience and that's great. But I, I'm 34 now. I had three and a half years to mm-hmm. be posting and public, doing all that shit. And I didn't do it. Is it because I'm a bad person? No, it's because it, I just don't fucking want to do it. 
You know, that's not who I am. I don't like social media. So I can force myself to do it or I can find another way to sell books. And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I spent two and a half of those years hating myself for not getting the, the productivity and the impetus up to do what I knew I was supposed to do. And then I spent the last year realizing that so my actions are telling me that it's not in honest alignment with who I am. So yeah. just don't do it. Just don't do it. Because as I'm coaching entrepreneurs, you know, I had one the other day and she was struggling. She's like, I know I'm, you know, I, she's, she's actually an Instagram influencer. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I know I'm supposed to have like a schedule and do posts like every day at this time and then put out emails and all this, like have all this structure. And she's like, I'm just not structured. I just don't like structure. And I told her then fuck it. Don't do the structure. I mean, hey, do you like doing live streams? She's like, oh yeah, I love that. She's like, I think of things all the time and then I want to pop into a live stream like, well, if that's what you want to do, do that, you know? So you'll be more raw and real and spontaneous. So what? What I find is that if we're out of honest alignment with who we really are, then we come into friction and maybe we force ourselves to do it, but it makes us really unhappy, you know? And that's why like, you know, I got up at 5 a.m. and took a train to Manhattan for two years to get an MBA at Columbia. Mm-hmm. Most people would have hated that. But man, I woke up to that alarm and I was like, I get to go to, I get to get on a train. I get to go to Manhattan and I get to study and like, this is awesome, right? Yeah. What's awesome to me is not awesome to you and vice versa. It's all the time, right? So, yeah. you know, I, I like people to listen to themselves when they're beating themselves up <laughs> and, and see like, what are you actually honestly telling yourself with your actions? right? Mm-hmm. Because it's the actions and the habits that actually make for success or not. And by the way, you know, back to what we can honestly control and not, we can control our actions. Um, yeah. So, you know, if we find that we're controlling our actions in a certain direction, maybe it's time to listen for that. You know, it's, it's like the, all the employees and offices I had, like I found myself some days not even wanting to go in. I was like, that's mm-hmm. weird. Have this office with all these awesome people. They're awesome people. Why don't I want to go in? Cause I don't want to manage anyone. Right. Yeah. But you know, it took me a while to figure out that's what my actions were telling me. Yeah. Um, but it does take a long time to be, I guess, able to get to that point to where you can like, I don't know, allow yourself to be able to, I don't, I don't know if, if forgive yourself is the, yeah. Yeah. Um, or, but also, I mean, I don't know if, if I'm a bit younger than you, but like, it's, I don't know if I can decide to stop going to the job I have right now because it like, well, also it's harder right now because of COVID. But <laughs> um, yeah. so, I mean, it, it does take time to kind of build that up. And the is there is there like a a, a, a wheel of like mistakes that you have to have before you like can really get going. <laughs> well, I don't know. Earlier we decided that, um, you know, there, there might be manifest destiny or fate. So, you know, maybe, maybe not, who knows, uh, <laughs> but, um, in my experience, yes, I've had to, I've had to make mistakes because 20 something year old Peter wouldn't listen. I'm pretty convinced he would not have listened to better mm-hmm. advice. Sadly would have saved me a lot of time and money. Now I'm much more, now I'm looking and open-minded to what I am telling myself internally and what the, the universe is telling me, for lack of a better way to phrase that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just the other day, I, so last night was my you know, monthly forum with entrepreneurs and I was sharing um, vulnerably and honestly. 
that for a long time, I told myself I would never want to build a, a billion dollar company, you know, mm-hmm. uh, done the multi-million thing, but a billion, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want that. Um, why was I telling myself that? You know what I mean? I mean, so I, I've only recently asked myself, why have I been shying away from that kind of a big goal? It's perfectly possible. I've met mm-hmm. a lot, I've met a tremendous number of CEOs of billion dollar companies and several billionaires. They're smart, but some of them aren't as smart as you think they are um, or would be. And just recently, this literally over the past several months, my wife and I have realized that we actually do have an idea that could be a billion dollar company. So step one of that is erasing my excusing myself from having that big of a goal mm-hmm. um, saying, Oh no, that's, I wouldn't want that. Well, I don't I mean what I wouldn't I, I don't know. Um, so to the point about like openness, I'm being much more open and questioning, you know, I'll give everyone out there two extremely valuable questions that I want everyone to ask themselves, which is, is that true? And how do I know yeah. every headline you see, every Facebook post you see, every thought you have, is that true? And how do I know? Mm-hmm. Um, and just those two questions, Santiago, have been so powerful in helping me check myself when I find, you know, the internal chatter. Like, wait, why did I just think that? Is that actually even true? And how could I test it out? You know, how do I know for sure? And um, that's a wonderful way to figure out where you you are meeting your own bullshit barriers that are preventing you from breaking through to the next thing. I mean, I just heard you say uh, something about, I'm sorry, I'm going to paraphrase, um, your job. Like, well, I can't just you know, up and leave my job. Is, mm-hmm. it, is that right? So yeah, yeah, is basically. That, is that true? <laughs> how do you, how do you know? You know, so, uh, you know, these are the types of, of situations in which we could maybe stand to sit back and ask, like, is that a self-limiting belief or assumption? Um, and how do I test it? Right. Um, well, I don't know that that is a, a bigger conversation that if you want to get into it, do people without certain privileges have the ability to take those risks? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone can take, anyone can do anything. That in and of itself is a self-limiting belief. Hmm. Um, Oh gosh, I, you know, I love getting into, I did a lot of work um, just as I was getting the company to the point where I could step back a little bit, I started going into classrooms and, and teaching kids, you know, about entrepreneurship. Cause mm-hmm. I, I don't know why in starting in middle school, high school, we don't teach entrepreneurship to mm-hmm. kids because it teaches you so much about leadership yeah. and the way the world works and how to sell someone, make persuasive arguments, so on and so forth. And, um, I, you know, went into an inner city school one time and they were so excited because I introduced them to, to this idea that becoming a business owner is pretty much the best way to build wealth there is. And by the way, it is one of the only things that you can do in the United States for which you do not need a degree or a license or a certification or even sure. citizenship. Anyone can go open a business if they just get the confidence and clarity around what they're doing and learn the skills. And this was, you know blow the glass ceiling off revelation for these kids. So they were like, oh, you know, I have everyone telling me I have to get through school and I have to do this and that. And there are only these certain paths. This is a whole other thing um, that, by the way, no one told me about. I didn't even know I could be that and do that. So, yeah, I mean, 
the the extent to which, and oh gosh, I can't tell you, Santiago, how many entrepreneurs are like, oh, well, I, I want to go do that, but I, I can't do that because I don't have this. And I'm like, the hell does this have to do with that? Like, who put in your head you need to link those two things? Just go do that, <laughs> right? Like, why are you taking beelines over to Milwaukee to go from Boston to LA? Just go to LA. No one's mm-hmm. stopping you but you. So yeah, I mean, I that's the type of self limiting stuff that that I want to nip in the bud. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, the, the, and then the, the literal, I guess, uh, hurdles that have to go through that. Like you, can you go from literally homeless to something <laughs> and then haven't and you ever the, seen the pursuit else? of happiness? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I haven't, but oh, it's yeah. a great movie. Yes. <laughs> it's happened. It's happened. Mm. You know, and I've always been, you know, me and my giant ego again. I've always been of the mindset that if someone somewhere has done it, then I can probably do it too. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to be an Olympic gymnast, right? I couldn't make it in figure skating. Probably not going to happen in gymnastics in my my ripe old age. But you know, within reason, especially in in business, you know, if someone's done it, then I could probably figure out how to do it. Um, that's a level of confidence I I wish on everyone. Now, I'm not always confident about everything. Trust me, but um, that matters. Yeah. Uh, what does the future look like? Uh, if I guess everyone does. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And, um, you know, I, you'll also hear me say, thank goodness that everyone doesn't want to just go out and be a leader because we do need folks to just do the work. Right. Um, and that's sad to say, I think, on the flip side, I've met a lot of people over the years who are perfectly happy to go into their nine to five and move paper around and do their job and come home. And they love that simplicity. And if I introduced the lack of, um, the lack of certainty, the, un, the, the magnanimous uncertainty that uh, not just business owners, but uh, any, any ambitious person faces, right? You know, ambition mm-hmm. breeds uncertainty. If you have ambition, you want to change your life, you are going to enter into a drastically uncertain time. A lot of people cannot deal with that. They don't like mm-hmm. it. They want to, you know, go to work at nine, come home at five. I live in the same house for 30 years. I have the same car, you know, whatever. They love that. And that's fine. It's not me. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for those people because if everyone were like me, we'd all run around like chickens with their heads cut off, right? It'd be mayhem. Yeah. So, um, I think that's okay. And and back to honest alignment, it's okay to recognize who you are and, and love that and be okay with that. Yeah. And that's a wonderful part of honesty that I wish, wish on everyone, you know, no matter what they choose to do with their lives. Yeah. Uh, how has the, the ways in which people achieve these things changed, especially through technology and social media and all of these things? Say that another way. What are you really asking? <laughs> um, things used to be different without technology, and now we have to apply the technology to do them. The the tech. I wish folks would not get so hung up on the tech. Hmm. I wish they would get hung up on the psychology, not the technology, because many times we come to expect that the technology will do something for us that actually requires human understanding and Mm -hmm. a human touch. And 
particularly now. Um, so we're, we're right now helping manufacturing companies in my agency sell in a world without trade shows. So this is sort of a timely discussion mm-hmm. because these are guys who, you know, would go to their trade show or conference, you know, twice a year events and do $5 million in business. And now ain't no events, ain't no handshakes, right? So they're being forced to use technology, many of which for the first time. And we have a methodology called the after-party sales method. And it goes like this. If we dropped you at the hotel bar after the conference ended where everyone hangs out, you'd probably make a lot of friends and probably drum up some prospects in business, right? Mm -hmm. Sadly, when we go to the tech side, we build a website or sales funnel, a lead magnet, whatever, uh, we turn into these like corporate robots that sound like (laughs) a snooze fest that nobody gives a shit about, right? Yeah. So what we want people to understand is like, just because you throw up a technology wall in between you and the customer, it's actually a wall. Like we have to pierce through it, not build it. We're trying to knock it down, you know, to make it easy for them to see who you really are, what you really believe in, what it's like to do business with you, you know, what beyond just the product or service that you provide. That's what people are looking for um, to take down that corporate shield. So that starts with a psychological understanding of how Mm. people even do business, you know, how they go from know and like to trust, to try to become a referral source. Um, Skipping steps, as I've learned the hard way, um, is dangerous and it's a way Mm. to go broke. So that ties back to the psychology, not the technology. Yeah. Uh, has the psychology changed over time? Not at all. Way- Not at okay. all. We still make decisions with our primitive reptilian brains and then seek to justify those decisions with our prefrontal, uh, prefrontal logic cortex. And that's something that really good sales marketers understand, that folks make decisions based on emotion. Mm-hmm. period, end stop. Even people listening to this say, well, I don't do that. I, yeah, you do. Then you justify it with logic. And you might do those actions right. in the same millisecond, but you do them in that order nonetheless. Um, and we ignore that process and the role that our gut plays in decision-making at our own peril. Right. Um, so that yeah, it's a really Jonathan Haidt? Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Who, who is oh, that? Uh, well, Jonathan Haidt is a... Uh... I think it was a social psychologist uh, and he, he wrote a book called the righteous mind, which basically says that we, we make decisions emotionally first and then we uh, justify them with our rational brain. Sounds like my Uh, kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. we do. And by the way, that's a really shitty way of of thinking. I mean, it's, it's that, you know, back to your question earlier about divisiveness. Um, We have all these uh, human beings running around with these emotional brains, making emotional decisions that are not built on logic, no wonder we're a complete shit show, right? Like, <laughs> so the more we can move folks out of that and, and yeah, it's out of their comfort zone and yeah, it's not natural or normal, but I, we do need to do it, um, the better. Yeah. Um, how, how can we do that without people running away, I guess? <laughs> Personal development, man. Yep. Starts with self-awareness, with helping people understand, like, you know, most people don't even... I'm not saying most, some number of people will never believe what you and I are talking about, that mm-hmm. you make decisions based on emotion. And just, you know, like, they'd be like, no, 
Okay. So let's operate from there, right? Yeah, <laughs> Take yeah. it back to the basics, educate some folks. Let's get a lot less people watching Tiger King and a lot more watching PBS. Um, <laughs> you know, and understanding how the world works. Um, yeah. Clearly our school system doesn't do a great job of this. And I, I join uh, a lot of really respectable minds out there in, um, in being the first ones to say how lackluster our school system is here in the U S I mean, we just clearly are focusing on, on the wrong things. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll leave that one there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then, I mean, is there a way to do this on a broader scale rather than, I mean, the, the hard part is that like humans mm-hmm. are talking to humans. Uh, so is there a, a broader way of getting more people to think in this way or is it? Listen, yeah. the, <laughs> I don't know, you know, this is a presidential election year, right? I don't know what's sure. going to happen. I, I'm hoping that the future of, of America's political system looks very different. I'm not, as I said earlier, I'm not a political guy, but we need new leaders. We need new leaders who understand these things and who say in their speeches, hey, we know this, this is how humans function. Uh, and I know this is probably out of your comfort zone. I want you to look at this set of facts and hold your emotions aside, which I know can take you in a bunch of different directions. And let's you know look at this together. And here's where I'm trying to move you. And here's why it's important. Nobody talks like that, right? Sure. And, and it's a technique I, in my book. I call it being honest and then pointing to the honesty, right? This is why it's not just honesty, it's strategic honesty. It's one thing if, I, if I'm honest with you, Santiago. I'm like, yeah, listen, mm. you know, that's, this, these are the facts. But it's yeah. another if I'm like, hey, these are the facts. And I'm showing you the facts because I trust you and you deserve the truth. And what I'm hoping is that through being honest and transparent with you, you and I can look at this and make an action plan. Like when I point to it, then what happens? Well, psychologically, I've boxed you in. Because now if you're like, uh, well, uh, you know, fuck you, then you look like the asshole. Because I've already put myself out there and said, I'm being honest with you because I trust you. What are you going to say? Oh, screw you. (laughs) Like you're going to be like, oh, yeah, no, well, thank you. Yes, I do want you to be honest with me, right? Sure. (laughs) <laughs> but we don't, like, for some reason, we're still talking at people instead of talking with them, you know, helping them along the psychological journey of, hey, you know, this is probably scary stuff. I'd be scared, too. And you're going to see all these scary headlines about wearing masks and the pandemic, and that's awful. And unfortunately, you know, that's getting in the way of all of us taking action because you, you and I both know we're all emotional people and we act, react with our emotions, right? People are yeah. like, oh, oh, we do? Oh, yeah. Oh, all right. Well, maybe we do. Now I'm open to that idea. It wasn't even introduced to me before, right? Mm. This is why we need you to, to take action. I know it sucks. I know blah, blah, blah. Nobody talks like that. Yeah. And so, you know, either what's coming at us goes over our heads or it's like some, you know, tablets brought down from Mount Sinai and we're like, well, where'd you get that? You know, where'd you get that, right? We haven't been brought along in the process on the journey to know why this leader has come to this conclusion. You know, I live here in Fairfield County, Connecticut. So we we had, you know, Andrew Cuomo, the governor, governor of New York, uh, over our airwaves almost every day during the pandemic. And I have to say, you did a pretty good job of doing mm-hmm. exactly that, of saying those three magic words that I love to hear, which is not I love you, but is I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. He kept saying, like, I have no idea. Uh, we're going to figure it out together. And as soon as I know, you'll know. And because we don't know, here's what we're going to do. And lo and behold, look at the New York uh, cases. 
doing yeah. well up here in this part of the country. Now, maybe somebody listening to this in October is going to be like, well, Peter, now cases are back up. So you suck. Maybe they will <laughs> right? Depends on what people do. Yeah. Um, depends on whether that, those open lines of communication stay open. So anyway, that was long-winded, but. No, yeah, yeah. Uh, do humans need leaders? Uh, yeah, humans, <laughs> you know, watch, watch, uh, you know, back to that PBS, man. I watched a lot of monkeys in my, um, watched a lot of monkeys in my childhood. Some of them were even on TV. You know what I mean? No, mm. um, <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, yeah, we're very, we're a hierarchical, hierarchical, I don't know, I'm not sure what the adjective is, species. Um, and Simon Sinek, who also went to Brandeis, like me, um, talks a lot about this phenomenon. It's like, we don't mind if someone's in a leadership position, we don't even mind if they get paid more, you know, if it's at a company or whatever, we just want them to be good and have our best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. That's what's been lost. We don't sure. know. There's so many conflicts of interest, lobbyists, profit incentives or whatever. We've just lost faith uh, that leaders have our best interests at heart. That's why back to strategic honesty, we need a leader who's going to point to it again, say, Hey, this has not been going well. Uh, you clearly don't know who to trust, and I don't blame you. Um, this is how I'm going to try to solve that, and we'll solve it together. And I'm not going to be perfect, right? But yeah, we're going we're to try it. We're going to try to do better. That would go so far, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do feel like, and this is a concept that I've been thinking about for a while, but it seems like America is is very focused on this idea of the the ubermensch the superman that is going to come in and save us all um mm. but kind of what you had mentioned earlier whenever i asked about uh passing through systems and bureaucracies is, is this sort of banding together sort of thing and so it's like what is the balance between like community versus leader and the other way around yeah, that's a really interesting question because for some reason in this country, we, we've lost a sense of personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. Everything is someone else's fault. We're an extremely litigious society. <laughs> and we've done this to ourselves, you know? I, I don't know who thought it was a good idea to allow folks to go to the Grand Canyon, fall off a cliff, and then sue the National Park Service. Like, what? <laughs> You know, like yeah. what has happened? Like, come on now, you know? And, and as soon as we began to allow that in our country, what did we get? You know, we got moral hazard, unscrupulous folks who uh, saw an opportunity to make money. Um, sure. Some of them, some of them, uh, you know, rightfully so. Maybe there was negligence, but many, you know, it's like, come on, personal responsibility. Yeah. Um, and because we've lost personal responsibility, to your point about Superman, we're always looking to someone else to solve a problem. Mm. What, a, what a terrible thing to teach children, you know? No, don't worry. Someone else will. Oh, you didn't get a good grade? Or we'll, we'll go to the teacher and fix that. Like, what? No, you're a dumbass. You deserve a bad grade. Study harder, <laughs> you know? Um, it just, that, that doesn't make sense to me. And it's not getting better. It's getting worse. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm unsure why it's in the constructs of how we've built our culture and what mm -hmm. we've allowed to have happen. Um, now I have to say, you know, we talk, talked about protests earlier, right? I yeah. have to say, at least those protesters are going out and doing something, sure. you know, not just sitting at home, I respect the hell out of that. Um, because it'd be easy to be like, Oh, racism is someone else's problem. It's not, you know, right. it's all our problems. Um, and, and these things clearly haven't been addressed. 
what I, what I really don't know, Santiago, and now you're going to make me think about it all weekend is, is I don't know why our personal responsibility seems to have gone out the window and is getting worse, not better. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine it's a function of the fact that we all have way too much free time and we've all turned into entitled little bitches. <laughs> you know, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, another mm-hmm. Brandeis guy, um, you know, food, food, water, shelter, right? These are things that give us purpose in life. Mm-hmm. After that, the little triangle at the top is self-actualization. Turns out that's really hard and it puts people into a lot of tailspins and, um, and psychological strife, right? You don't have suicides when folks are preoccupied with like, where am I going to get the next meal and how am I going to hunt this animal and how am I going to do, right? Like you get it when people are struggling with like, who am I and how do I fit into society and why am I being bullied? And because we have too much damn free time, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I think in a, in a society where we have too much free time, um, you know, for some reason, it allows us to, to shirk responsibility. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how we make that jump. Um, I've been, as you can tell, I've been grappling with this to understand it because if we don't restore a sense of personal responsibility in this country, it's like, no, no one's coming to save you. No one's coming to, like, you've got to do this for yourself. Like, grab yourself up by the bootstraps, get help proactively, you know, do this stuff. Gosh, one of the things we studied in, uh, I was an economics major in undergrad. I took a wonderful class on the welfare system trying to figure out if the welfare system works, why don't, why isn't there a swift movement of people off of welfare? Mm-hmm. turns out that the incentives are such that it makes it more economical for people to stay on welfare. They actually make mm-hmm. more money than the entry level jobs they could transition to and get to move them off of welfare. Right. That, like, so some people do some, some people take personal responsibility and say to themselves, well, I'm going to either live on welfare forever and that's who I am, or I'm going to get off it and suffer for a couple of years and make a better life for myself in the end. And some do, most don't, um, yeah. sadly, you know, by the way, we, in that class revamped that system in the period of about six weeks. And then we were left with the question, why doesn't the system change? If it's so obvious to a bunch of college kids, how to fix it, politics, infighting, bullshit, mm-hmm. and dishonesty. That's why. Yeah. Um, sadness, you know, very sad. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, personal responsibility is a big one. I, this whole Superman complex you bring up is a real problem. It's a big, big problem. Um, and I don't know how to solve it. Right. And I mean, yeah, the, the personal responsibility thing, uh, I do, and maybe this is just like my my angry atheist from like five years ago in my head thinking that like there is a, a sense of religion kind of feeding into that of like, there is a being that I can pray to that will solve this. And so no matter what, even if there's no like person that can come in and solve this, at least there is something else. And well, we have been taught to throw our hands up in a way and say, yeah. well, you know, it's in God's hands. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is really interesting. By the way, that's a wonderful thing to have happen if you lead a congregation, because if you can convince people that, uh, you know, throw it up, leave in God's hands anyway, it creates a dependent relationship mm-hmm. on the structure of religion, right? Very interesting. Sure. People take stock. <laughs> By the way, really sharp folks who have been listening to this from the first part and now the second part may wonder to themselves, P- 
Peter's talking about personal responsibility. And then earlier, you know, he and Santiago had a conversation about free will and theory of relativity and how everything's set anyway. So what gives, <laughs> right? Right. Um, and that's it. I don't know the answer to that. That's, that's really interesting. You know, maybe it's neither here nor there then. Well, that's a funny thing. Uh, I actually don't believe in free will in, in the traditional sense, because like, like you said, uh, if you try and chase down this nebulous thing that is free will, you will continue to run circles around it. And then you either have to uh, concede to a God or just concede that there isn't any. Um, And so for, for me, it's not so much like, I don't spend too much time thinking about or trying to restructure language so that I can speak in a way that makes it to where I don't have free will because that's that's a very I I can't restructure that I decided to go to the store it's like I the <laughs> my needs as a biological being required that I go get sustenance and so the like it it would be very difficult to restructure language that way so uh instead I've I've always kind of thought about it as we need to structure our environment in our society and our culture to encourage behaviors that we know to benefit us. And so like, like you said, this group of college students was able to figure this thing out, but we also don't have a way by which to implement these things. And so I always kind of believe that like, no humans aren't evil by nature, but it's really the systems that are in place that are kind of encouraging this sort of behavior totally. that are we're rewarding these sorts of things. And a question I, I asked a friend earlier uh, this week was, are we, I guess, morally required to make life worse for people who are morally reprehensible? <laughs> yeah, that one's, it, I mean, yeah. Then you're getting into the, you know, punitive system right you know how do we punish people how do we rehabilitate people how do we, that's beyond my scope of expertise for sure <laughs> um but yeah i mean it's an interesting interesting point you know about how we structure these incentive systems because so often in companies mm-hmm. we have these super shitty incentives i mean just, i was talking to a friend at american express pretty pretty great position american express I'm like calling them out now. I usually don't do this, but it's like, yeah, um, I'd love to bring you in. But in our culture, we prioritize being nice and avoiding conflict over pursuing truth. Mm. You know, um, that's their prerogative, right? But let's not lie about the fact that every time they ignore the truth, they miss an opportunity to innovate, you know, to give their customers what they're really asking for, to kick people out of their culture who suck, you know, whatever. Um, you know, so yeah, very interesting. Right. Well, I think it does kind of have to do with restructuring or redefining what that might mean. Uh, like, like we talked about earlier, how you have these, this hierarchy of values. Uh, I have it too. I always end the podcast by saying my three things, which are love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong. And so I, I don't use love never fails to just kind of like let anything slide and be like, oh, well, like I don't want to hurt you. And so I'll just use love and not deal with the problem. But no, it's like if you work around it, you go, well, I would rather 
give you more love by being honest with you so that we can solve this problem and things are better off that way. And so it's like, oh, well, our company culture says that like we would rather be kind. Well, you're being unkind by being dishonest and not confronting these problems. Totally. (laughs) I mean, look at the, look at the problems parents are having, um, you know, with the next generation, we have this whole thing about helicopter parents and everyone gets a trophy and Jimmy needs straight A's and all that. We've created a a generation of people who can't fail. Yeah. Cause they've been propped up. Is that love? Is that honesty? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I have a dog now, right? Big fat Australian shepherd poodle mix. He is a wonderful dog because I trained the shit out of him. (laughs) Tough love. You know, really, I was very tough with him. Now he's wonderful. Can walk him off leash. He knows the rules. Very happy. And meanwhile, friends and colleagues, dogs that do whatever they want, poop all over the place, you know, bite, scratch, do whatever. They thought they were loving them. Oh, no, I can't. I can't discipline him. Okay, well, that's what happens. You know, sure. We all know this. And then when we're tested to take the action, we know we need to take the tough love action and we know produces the right outcomes, we shy away. Right. Personal responsibility, <laughs> you know, dishonesty. Let's be honest about what it takes. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there always seems to be a, I mean, that kind of links into parenting as well. And we, we always kind of see this generational pendulum of, parents who are way too harsh. Uh, and then those create kids who, uh, become parents that are way too easygoing. And then Mm. that kind of wave keeps happening back and forth. And we never seem to find the balance in between, uh, yes, I need to be tough on you, but that doesn't mean, uh, abuse. Uh, but then also, sure, you can do whatever you want, even if that means you abuse me. <laughs> well, yeah, I have to say, I mean, so there's, there's, listen, I'm not a psychologist, right? So mm-hmm. I can't argue for the happiness of a child, mm-hmm. right? But I, you know, I have two eyes and, and ears and you do too. And we now have the benefit of watching several generations, right? We have a history. Yeah. And it's pretty clear that the parents who are pretty harsh with their kids, uh, their kids might've hated them and been miserable, but damn, were they productive? You know? Sure. Now we have generation of kids and I'm, I'm about to offend you and or someone else out there. <laughs> Apparently there's this thing where you can watch other people play video games. Yeah. This is a, this is a thing. Um, you talk, we want to talk about morally reprehensible. I think that's morally <laughs> reprehensible. It's like, that's where, that's what we're allowing to happen now. That's, that's not productive. That's not helpful to society. It's literally doing nothing. I could even make an argument. It'd be a stretch, but I can make an argument for the kids who are playing the games. Okay, fine. Maybe there's some sort of teamwork element, training their brains to be hand-eye coordinate. I don't know. I'll make something up. But watching other people play video I can't. I can't get behind that. Um, right. So, you know, when you think of uh, the type of generation of parents who would be like, are you kidding? No, go get a job. Go, you know, read a book or whatever. Those kids might grow up to be spiteful, hateful people, but damn, they'll be productive. <laughs> so, so what's, what's interesting from a societal standpoint is which would we rather have, you know, and, and I think to your point, what's interesting is like, maybe we can say, well, we'd rather end up in the middle. We haven't been able to do that yet. Generationally, right on a big scale with, with millions of people, um, we, we swing back and forth. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, 
if we haven't been able to do it yet, I don't know how likely it is that we'll figure out how to land in the middle. You know, and if we're going to keep swinging back and forth, maybe we should have a little more awareness about, hey, before you hate the way you were raised and you go to raise your kids to uh, get a trophy every day opposite. and watch other yeah. people play video games and not have a care in the world, maybe you should think about how you ended up. Maybe it's not so bad. At least we built a productive society off of it. I don't know. We're not. You know, I'm willing to. Be, I'm not a parent. I'm willing to be disagreed on that. But sure. I was a child of two parents who were like, "No, go get a job. Right. Uh, excellence matters. Work matters. Watch PBS because I ain't getting cable for you." <laughs> you know, and I hate. Listen, nobody hated it more than I did at the time. Mm. But uh, now I'm very grateful. Very right. grateful because I have a lot of friends who didn't have that upbringing, and they're a damn mess. Sure. And there was also a balance too because the they were able to allow you to, hey, do musical theater. Hey, do your figure skating. Hey, Absolutely. do everything else. So Absolutely. It is always kind of a balance anyways. And uh, it seems like we always fluctuate between uh, one and probably a false dichotomy of just these are the two things and there's nothing else. Of but course. also uh, it seems like America just wants to turn everything up to 11 and so there is no, there is no in between. There's no middle way. It oh. it just becomes, uh, if you do this thing, you're going to do it all of the way. And, uh, I guess we haven't seen that extremes are probably the, the, the ways in which we, we strangle, strangle ourselves with the extremes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a great point. I mean, if we're going to be honest, we need to be in the middle, probably on everything parenting, politics, you know, mm -hmm. work, whatever. Um, I, I hope we get to that place. It seems like we're going the opposite direction that we're, <laughs> you know, blowing to the poles more and more, but uh, we need the middle. And, um, you know, to the, to, to wrap up the parenting thing, I mean, talk about entrepreneurship. You don't need any sort of license certification training, nothing. Sadly, we don't need any of that to be parents either. That I think <laughs> is also a tremendous problem. Um, and yeah, I wish there were a lot more formal training around that. My, both my sisters are teachers and one, one is a school counselor and, uh, having, you know, taught kids and dealt with parents, they have wholeheartedly agreed with me that we need a lot more training and education before people decide to, uh, to procreate. So I'm sure that'll be an unpopular opinion. So some, someone listening to this is like, Peter's such an asshole. I can't believe you would say something like that. That's our God given right. And that's, and that's okay. You know? <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and then the hard part becomes implementation because then it's just like, do we do forced sterilization for people that don't pass? Oh, no, the I'm not going that far. I'm just saying, right, exactly. But, and that's the, the again, spewing towards polls, the extremes right? yeah. really, really quickly. And <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just saying, I think people should like understand like basics of human psychology, basics of child psychology, basics of what it takes to raise a productive member of society, you know? Yeah. Basics, basics. I'm talking basics here. <laughs> um, there is, uh, I guess a little, not quite off topic, but, uh, there is something that I was talking to a, uh, medical emergency specialist. Like his, his job was literally to deal with, uh, systemic problems in uh medical emergencies but uh the the value of fluidity or mobility ability to change is more or better encouraged in those sorts of situations because rather than uh wait around for 
uh, new information once you've already made a bad decision. Instead, being having the ability to fluctuate and kind of move on that, uh, does that value also apply to entrepreneurship and business? Well, it, it applies. It absolutely applies to entrepreneurship. I mean, it's all about the art of the pivot. Trust me, I've learned that, that one the hard <laughs> way. Um, and it's also in the definition of what it means to be honest, to achieve an outcome. You know, honesty doesn't always mean, in fact, it rarely means just be candid with someone. Uh, in fact, there are a lot of times in which that'll be hurtful. Sure. Um, you know, and, and not empathetic. So, you know, part of honesty is being willing to admit fault and ready for change all the time. You're yeah. not an honest person unless you're, you're there. And if you think about it, um, you know, being honest with the others around you, sometimes that's super important, uh, super important. And that's the way. Other times we need to be honest about others around us and be willing to change the way we communicate with people, the questions we ask, the language we use. You know, you and I talked earlier about you should versus I heard you say, and this is an experience I have, right? Even that shift, that more empathetic shift is being more honest about that person, about that person, where they're coming from and, and what they need and what, what you don't know. Yeah. Um, and so much. And, and whenever we're talking about making shifts, making changes, it's about opening up that blind spot of ours, that, that big area of what we don't know. And that is one thing that flows through every CEO in my book. In fact, you know, I do a, a chapter about Bethany Frankel, you know, went from like nobody to housewife of New York to, to selling a nine figure alcohol brand, right? It's a great story. Mm -hmm. And her mantra, I sum up as ignorance is power. Knowledge is bliss. She basically operates from this place of, I don't know. And if I don't know, I'm going to ask. And uh, I interviewed her one time. It was Adweek, New York. And then she went on stage and she's on this panel full of guys, ad executives. And she heard a term she didn't know. And she, she shut down the entire thing. She stopped everyone. and was like, I don't know what that means. Tell me what that means. And you can imagine living a life where you're like, I don't know what that means. Tell me what that means. Imagine how smart you would get. Sure. <laughs> Over days and months and years of admitting, like, I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. Tell me. Um, and that's, you know, how she and many of the other CEOs in my book have been successful because of, I don't know, if we need to pivot, let's try it. Let's do it. I don't know. Right. Sure. So powerful. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I guess final few things. Uh, what's a hurdle that you're still working on in, as you, uh, I guess in a business sense, but also in a personal sense, I have, uh, a, I have a poor relationship with money. And I have, I'm over the past year, I've developed an awareness that I operate, well, I have operated primarily from a scarcity mindset, not an abundance mindset. That's been a new revelation to me. I would have swore up and down three, four, 10 years ago. No, like I think about it in abundance. There's all kinds of opportunity out there. And I do believe that there's all kinds of opportunity in that. But the choices I make are often from a scarcity mindset. So I've been dealing with that and trying to catch myself recently with my two questions. You know, is that true? How do I know? Yeah. Um, you know, whenever I'm thinking like, oh, we, we can't afford that. Like we can afford it. It's just me being an asshole. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I had to learn to catch myself in those thought patterns that I know are unhealthy um, and, and try to rewire some of that. And it's, what's funny is, you know, I can, I can feel that, you know, listen, I'm, I'm doing what I say in the book, right? I'm no hypocrite. Um, I can feel that self-honesty really transforming the way I think and, and the actions I take, which is wonderful. And I wish that on everyone, but, um, as always, you know, self-awareness is step number one. Yeah. 
Um, and then finally, what's something that you've been into lately, whether it be media or books or whatever that, uh, you want other people to know about? Oh my gosh. It's the most exciting thing has happened. <laughs> so Apple TV is finally coming out with, uh, the foundation series. Okay. Mm -hmm. So foundations, a series of science fiction books. Again, yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. the uh, Asimov. Person. That's right. Isaac Asimov, fellow Columbia university guy. I did not know that until last night when I started rereading the series again, I read it like twice as a little kid. I read it when I was like nine, I read the whole series. And again, when I was like 13, 14, something it's like that. It's been on my list. <laughs> oh man. So great. What I didn't see when I was a kid, I read it and it was awesome. The story, but now I, you know, I dive into the history. Like that's what star Wars was based on. That's what mm -hmm. star Trek was based on. Like it all came out of Asimov's foundation series. And forever I thought to myself, why don't they make this into a movie <laughs> or a series? It would be epic. And finally Apple TV is making, uh, Isaac Asimov's foundation series. I cannot wait to see it. It's going to change my life. I'm going to be like in front of the TV with popcorn, like for the first second, just like sweating with joy. I can't wait. Yeah, no, definitely. There's so many times where I'll, I'll be reading the science fiction that came from Asimov, Clark and all that stuff. Oh, and yeah. it's like, how are these guys so forward thinking, especially in a time where they yeah. didn't have any of this technology and knowing exactly how it would effect they really were yeah. and it's you know I, I don't know we won't go into this too deeply but like a lot of scientology was based <laughs> off of the science fiction works of some of these writers and stuff so it really has sort of rippled through society in a very interesting way um, if you're interested in how you know the history and religion has sprung out of um the, the minds of these folks yeah very interesting stuff yeah uh peter once again thank you for doing this with me uh Plug your stuff once again. Uh, happy to. So uh, come have an honest conversation with me anytime. Um, I'm at honest2greatness.com. I have a lot of resources for leaders, for middle managers, for frontline employees, for entrepreneurs, um, helping you understand how to implement honesty uh, at honest2greatness.com. That's T-O. Uh, you can take the 21-question honesty quiz totally for free. It'll tell you what honesty type you are. Um, you'll also get the companion workbook. And of course, Go wherever books are sold, and uh, I hope you'll pick up a copy of Honest to Greatness, which is my new book coming out August 2020. And uh, you get to leave a very honest review, whether you like it or not, because it's a book about honesty. So I uh, hope you enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely looking forward to that. Uh, I will actually really want to read it. So <laughs> uh, you've convinced me you, you did it. That's what you came here for. So, <laughs> yep. um, well, yeah. Uh, and again, thank you so much for, uh, doing this with me and, uh, I should thank Adam for getting us in touch. So, uh, definitely. And yeah, I will end the recording there. Or actually I should say I'm Santiago Ramones. And I'm you Peter Cosboy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music. Bloom is available now, streaming everywhere. Put it on in the background, put it on your workout playlist, show it to your friends so you can all enjoy it together. You can also buy the thing and get bonus content to get a bit deep into the emotions you can feel with it. I also make music with Power Cycle, an experimental electronic trio. Our first completely improvised album, Too Many Damn Cables, is streaming everywhere. More to come from Power Cycle in the future. 
to support this podcast, leave reviews, comments, tell your friends about it, and buy my music, because by supporting me, you're supporting the podcast. I always end the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails, it's going to be okay, I might be wrong.